Professor Bryn Brown's research shows that vulnerability fosters good emotional and mental health. It is a sign of courage. We become more resilient and brave when we embrace who we truly are and what we are feeling. The Vulnerable Scientist Podcast is a space for scientists to tell their honest and authentic stories. I am your host, Saranya Kerry, who happens to be a scientist, informal science communicator, and I help scientists create personal websites. If you want to support this show, go to www.patreon.com slash the vulnerable scientist. You can also follow this podcast on all social media platforms at TV Scientist Pod. Yes. <laughs> to make it easy, you can just say Adrian. Adrian. Okay. Yes, because it's actually a French name. Um, oh. So mm-hmm. to get the pronunciation right, you you get you have to turn around your tongue in R's and stuff. So I make it easier. And <laughs> I, I oh, say right. it in an English, more English friendly way. Yes. Oh. So Adrian okay. is fine. Yes. Right. Okay. So. Uh, we would like to know about yourself, maybe your background, where you were born, your family, a little bit of that. Yes. Yes. Okay, so I am a Cameroonian. Um, I was born and raised in Cameroon. Uh-huh. Um, I was born in a, to a family of five, so I'm the fourth of five children, but actually... Um, I would say in typical African sense, I'm being conservative by saying five because those are the five children from my mother. And okay. um, mm-hmm. yes, I grew up with, with my mother, so with a single mom. Mm-hmm. And so those are the five people that I call brother and sister. But beyond that, there's a <laughs> a, a, a big family tree. Um Short story, my mom was married, then she got divorced, then she had kids with two in two other couple situations that gave her the five kids. So each of those relationships also gave other kids, so stepkids here and there. So yeah, it's a big family. Um, but yeah, I limited to five and I'm the fourth of those. So I have three uh, sisters and a brother. Um, I grew up in Yaoundé, um, I'll say Yaoundé from the age of five because we moved from somewhere else. And, uh, if I can put it in context, Cameroon is bilingual. So we, we speak both English and French. Um, yes. And it has 10 provinces, eight are French dominant and two are English dominant. So I am sort of a mix because my father is from the French side. My mother is from the English side. I grew up in the French side, but studying in an English school. (laughs) So that gave me um, advantages, but also challenges, um, coupling different influences culturally. 
you know British and French, it's not always uh, sync. But yeah, I grew up in Yaoundé and um, I studied there from primary right through um, high school. If I can just give some highlights uh, that may inform a little bit about where I am now. So there's the language part. And then um, there's also the fact that my mom, she always uh, tended to push me a little bit ahead of the curve. So, okay. yeah, I was I was always made to skip a class at every educational stage. So in nursery, I skipped one class, primary. Um, the only stage I didn't skip was in high school because I was majoring in sciences and um, most of the practical work to succeed in the advanced levels, the GC advanced levels, which was the, our system of um qualification into the university uh, is is uh, is done in the final year. So then I had to complete the whole series. So that made it such that I got to university at the age of 16. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that, was, that was a blessing and a curse um, because I always wanted to study let me not say always, I was good at chemistry. I was good at science in general. Um, but also from a very young age, I think from about eight years old, I surrounded by poverty and also a single mom trying to fend for five kids. Um, I took on entrepreneurship. So I started selling um, stuff. I, I sold peanuts, I sold biscuits, I sold um, ice creams and lollipops, whatever I could get my hands on, but only during the holidays. Um, yeah, so that when I was now in high school, I had a challenge of fitting myself either going the business route or going the science route. My mom wanted me to become a medical doctor, but mm-hmm. I got scared of medicine um, <laughs> through another story that we can talk about in a separate session. But the, the, the point of it is I finally settled to, to study pharmacy because I thought with pharmacy, you need your sciences, you need a strong chemistry, which I was good at, and it's also a business. So I thought I'll be I'll be more successful as a pharmacist. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. by the time I graduated high school, there were no schools of pharmacy in Cameroon. Um, that was in 2000. Um, nowadays, luckily, there are quite a few. So at 16, my mom, she was absolutely categorical. I cannot go abroad. I'm too young. Um, the only places you could go really at that time was Nigeria um, or like really far. <laughs> and my mom said Nigeria, no, because she watched a lot of Nollywood movies and she was just too scared to send me at 16 to go live in Nigeria alone. So long and short of it, I went to on to university and I studied biochemistry. 
the idea for me for biochemistry was that I was going to some at, at maybe after my first degree uh, get a scholarship and and get into a school of pharmacy. So I would have at least built up maybe a few credits that will, I would be able to skip some some more time in pharmacy school. Um, however, when I finished my first degree, I had a GPA that put me in a second class uh, upper division. Not enough, actually, your second class lower. Not enough for me to get a really good full scholarship. And uh, still at that stage, at my mom or my yeah, my mom who was my only uh, financial support at the time could not afford to sponsor me to go study abroad and still no um, school of pharmacies. Oh, I think there was one, but it was really, really steep in terms of the fees and also the, the competition to get in. So I went on to study a master's degree back still in Cameroon. Um, and then after my master's degree, I finally had a good enough GPA uh, almost the first class, and then I, I actually dropped out. <laughs> I dropped out because I was tired of the academic journey, and I decided I wanted to go into workforce. So I, I started working as a pharmacist assistant um, for a year, almost a year. But then I was frustrated because I felt, oh, I found out that with a master's degree in a typically science, mainstream scientific course, you don't get any privileges or advantages as a pharmacist assistant. Like you just go and start from the, from the ground level. And I was a bit frustrated by that. So I went back and I registered again for, for a PhD, applied for a scholarship, I got uh, selected for the Organization for Women in Science for the Developing World for a fully funded uh, PhD fellowship. At the time, I had secured a spot in China. So it's a South-South collaboration uh, fellowship. So you must, as a student from the South, study within the South, so within a developing country. And I thought, China as a developing country is almost as good as you can get. <laughs> so I wanted to go to China, but then eventually I, um, the time when I got the admission, the, the, the fellowship award later, the China uh, school had already gone far, far into the year. And they asked me to either come in the next academic year or to change um where I wanted to go pursue the fellowship. So I decided to come back to the continent and I searched for uh, spots uh, in a spot in uh, South Africa. Finally got accepted at Stellenbosch University, uh, which was actually a good thing because it's ranked uh, among the top uh, African universities, even up to date. Yeah, so I went there, studied for like four years, challenges along the way. Um, and when I finished, I did a year postdoc there. Eventually I left. I went, I moved to Mozambique, um, lectured there for two years, and then came back to South Africa, did another postdoc for two years. Uh, after which I finally 
decided to really go for the dream of combining my skills and talents in entrepreneurship and business with science. Um, got a role as a sales professional at my current company, and uh, that's why we are talking today. Yeah. It's a long oh. story. I've tried to really streamline it. <laughs> well, it's an interesting one. Yeah. Ah, so you started business at the age of eight. Wow. Yes. Right. So I'm sure. I'm sure that you've seen. Um, I know in other parts of the world it is termed child labor. <laughs> no. But, <laughs> I, I for no one one second um, assumed that it was any any labor because I initiated it. I asked my mom. Actually, my mom was one of those people who she guarded her kids like a hawk. So I, I stubbornly told her I don't want to stay home on during the holidays with my friends going out uh, to sell. I want to join my friends, and she thought, okay, if you're going in a group. And maybe it will teach you a thing or two. It's fine. And I actually started with my my cousins who were there for holidays and some of my siblings as well. But they all fell off. They all hated it. Um, they all did so badly <laughs> because it wasn't their thing. They didn't have um, the passion for it. I enjoyed it and I grew up. I think I, I started, I did that from the age of eight right up to when I got into university every holiday. That's about two, three months of um, daily selling. And it's not just selling, it's selling and buying your own um, goods again. So you sell, you go to the market, you buy your own stock. So it's all those lessons and skills, all those interactions, really. Um, I think that I enjoyed so much and I never really wanted to let go of it. Oh, that is interesting. Uh, here in Kenya, there's a tribe called Kikus. They have that spirit of entrepreneurship, business, mm-hmm. that like, mm-hmm. they are known to be excellent in business. No, so I, I see you can fit there. Have some traits. Oh, that's a good yes. thing. Yes. In our okay. in my country I also belong to a tribe like that. So we all I think every oh. country has a tribe like that. <laughs> so oh, oh. But, no <laughs> Yeah, out in my country the tribe is Bamileke, but it's interesting because I never really grew up with my father. So it might really have something to do with the genes, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't grow up with my father, but I was influenced by that trait. So, but I also don't think it's really it because um, my younger sister, for example, totally hated it. She's more an artist. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know if it, how true it is, but you tend to see that most of the entrepreneurs in my country come from that specific tribe as well. That's oh, wow. And okay, may I ask you something? You said you went to university at the age of 16 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, in your country, at what age do, do a person get an ID and a national identification card? Okay, that's a very good question. Um, I think now the age is 16, but at the time it was 18. So I did, I did struggle a little bit. Um, for two years trying to to navigate that in-between space. Um, 
Yeah. I, I, I cannot remember exact instances, but I do remember struggling because I could not get an ID, um, a national ID for like two years, even though I was a, a university student. Oh, but thank God it was not a problem you proceeded. I think I think I was allowed to to use my birth certificate for oh, most of okay. the of the things um, like registering for for the national exams. I think I was allowed to use my national my my birth certificate in place of the the ID. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. You said uh, at high school, you are you are not disagreeing if you should do business or med school. Your mom wanted you to be a doctor. Uh, when the, the interest, your interest in science, how did it? When, when did it begin? Like mm-hmm. at high school or earlier than that? What motivated you to like science? No, here science yeah. are really hard. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what? I think I think um, the first thing is that I I tend to be very competitive, and okay. from a very young age, I don't know if it's an influence from my mother, <laughs> but I can hear her voice in my head even today. <laughs> but I was always pushed to be the best. So if there's something I need to be, it's to be the best. Not 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 like do good, do no, it's just be number one. And um I think even maybe it has changed that today even entrepreneurs are regarded now as the the the, the highlights of the day. Um but back in the day, the A students, the best students were the science students. If you don't make it in science, uh, no one is really paying attention. <laughs> so I forced myself basically to to love science, to to pay attention in science because I wanted to to outcompete everyone else. But also, eventually, when I started understanding what I was really doing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, my mom. She she was always sick. So my mom, for the longest time, always had malaria. And when she has malaria, even up to today, it's like the end of the world. <laughs> so I grew up, and my mom is a very um, strong woman, very authoritative, very, she has a big presence. But then you imagine the flip side of when she's sick and she can't even, like, lift herself out of the bed. So it was very... Um, almost disturbing to see that effect of disease so as as that kind of reality started hitting me i started paying more attention to how i can help what can i do in the future mm-hmm. and uh, yeah so it's partly that and partly the fact that i also had this uh, mom who always said you will become a medical doctor and I, I also was very competitive and science was always for the smartest or, yeah, <laughs> the brightest students had to excel in science. So it was hard work and also just being alert to the fact that in my environment, if you succeeded in science, then you were regarded as a success. Oh, wow. Is it different uh, in Kenya? I mean the dynamics yeah. of the different um, 
the different areas of study, which one is regarded as the best or the the the, the A-listers? Pardon, which is? So I know I know usually you have like four categories about there. You have the scientists, you have the those who are excellent in sports and athleticism. Um, mm-hmm. You have those who are kind of business savvy, and then you have the artists. So okay, those who yeah. are in the performing arts and stuff. So yeah, I'm asking in Kenya, who who are those that are regarded in the society um, as role models? Oh, the ones that are in science. No, no, like in university, those medics. Yes. They're getting us, oh my. If you are uh, doing a, 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 something to do with medicine or health sciences, mm-hmm. yeah, you are us, like, this is the sharpest student, you know? Yes. Someone is doing business, oh my, uh, like, like a joker or something like that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Then you come to artists, but yeah, those are guerrillas, the, the lineage, not the yes. people pursuing science, yeah, and medicine, pharmacy, those those people, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so it's it's very much the same. Yeah, Honestly, yeah. You have you have those that excel in in sports uh, and physical mm-hmm, ability, yeah. uh, but usually those are the people that you tend to say, ah, they're not good at school. At least they can do sports. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what you say. Yeah. And in my case, I was like, I, I, I'm not good at sports. At least I'm good in school. Oh, it's always like when you find someone who is good at school and also at sport, it's so rare. Yeah. There are is. few. There are few. It has to be one. Yeah. Yeah. True. 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 So, okay, now. That is interesting. Like you didn't have a nini. I can see. I can say that. Like your mom, mm-hmm. she has a she has malaria. I guess it yes. motivated you more to motivate you more. Find at least find a a, a disease a, a cure. You know, uh, to yes. how to help yeah. her. Yeah. Yes. So um, no, you said your first. You got your first job after you you are done with masters, mm-hmm. right? As a pharmacist assistant. Yes. How did you get it? And okay. as some, you can tell us more about other jobs that you have done. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. So, at the time when I finished my masters, I went to live with an aunt. Um, okay. I selected her specifically because she was a pharmacist and I still had this passion to to eventually deviate into pharmacy. And she told me, um, with a master's in, in biochemistry, you've gone far enough. Um, you, you can get into pharmacy, but there are other ways uh, to integrate the world of, of pharmaceuticals without necessarily having to go again for a four-year or five-year course to become a, a certified pharmacist. So she said you can become a pharmaceutical representative. That's basically 
uh, a drug representative or medical, I don't know how it's called in, in Kenya, but where you represent the pharmaceutical companies and you go to doctors and pharmacists and um, kind of do some marketing to get them to stock on this particular brand and, and, and uh, prescribe it. So I thought that was just perfect because it will bring the two things together for me, the selling and the, the science and the pharmacy. And it's around, I, I kind of always guided myself around drugs. So even for my master's um, thesis, I did a, a project around um, medicinal plants just so that I'm always within the system within the okay. system for for medicinal uh, for for drug development so she at the time it was rare to get those um job openings nowadays is a bit more open as in the the companies themselves launch uh or they announce um vacancies and you can apply directly but at the time it was very rare it was like a bit like word of mouth and it's just like one or two that will open up in a year or something so i had to just stay near her just in case something opened i had a call she had a brother-in-law who had just gotten in so we're waiting for the next opening while waiting then she had a friend who was so she was a, a pharmacist but in the hospital so she was a clinical pharmacist but she had a friend who was a community pharmacist and she had, she had opened a, a community pharmacy and um, she got me a spot there through her friend. So it was really a family, a friend, friend speaking to a friend and then recommending um, that I joined, I, I joined the staff there and, and I started working there. Uh, so it wasn't very formal, actually. It was more of an informal arrangement just to get, some exposure while waiting for, for, for my break into, into the, the pharmaceutical industry as a sales rep. Um, so that, that, that was a bit frustrating because when I started, you know, you have a master's degree and you're feeling like, okay, I need like a corner office and <laughs> all the privileges. And again, it was an informal thing. It was a family owned pharmacy. So in there, there were people that didn't really, ha- they, they had not really gone to school so much, um, but they were family members, so they could get a, away with anything. And then you also had those who had barely had a degree. I think the senior person, they had not had a degree, but then he had been a pharmacist assistant for over a decade. So he knew his stuff. He could even prescribe uh, in place of the pharmacist for a few things. Um, but then I come in and I have to like clean, clean the, 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 the shelves and take stock and yeah, do all the menial things. <laughs> and at that time, my ego was really, really high up there. So I, yeah, I couldn't get take it. And then you, I was, the other thing that really turned me off was that I had to work seven days a week. So even on Sundays. Yeah. <laughs> even on Sundays. So I, it was very frustrating because I was trying to also, one thing about me is that I like, I need to, I always need to be on the path of self-development. If I, I find that if I stop learning, if I stop trying to better myself and just get in a routine, 
um, it is very frustrating and I don't cope. So I had to, I had to always be working um, seven days a week, sometimes even without breaks in the day. Uh, so I didn't see that I was going to grow in that role. I wasn't even expecting to grow in that role. Um, and then the role I was hoping for wasn't coming. So I just decided one on one of those occasions that you get at work, um, staff disputes and stuff, I decided that was it. And I dropped out. So I dropped out of it and then I went straight away and registered as a PhD student um, because at least as a PhD student, I thought I'll have free internet, (laughs) free internet access. At that time, internet was really expensive, by the way. (laughs) It was just the advent of internet and personal computers and all that. So I I went and registered as a PhD student, so I have access to free internet, and then I can apply for for scholarships and you know take on on uh, courses. I remember during that time I also studied for a GRE because one of the, the things I wanted to do was maybe go, go immigrate to to the US, where we knew that more opportunities for scholarships um, are available for PhD. Um, and within that time, I was also working, the, the, the professor in whose lab I was working, he also hired me partly as a research assistant so I could earn a bit of, of side pocket allowance um, while, while registered. So that was, I would think, my second job officially as a research assistant. Um, and then eventually when I got selected for the... OWSD fellowship and I moved to South Africa. It was focused on the studies, but then my scholarship was for three years. Um, And then my professor at the time decided that I needed a fourth year to complete the story that we're trying to tell with my PhD. But then there was no funding uh, available from my, my, my sponsors at the time. And so we, I had to now take on extra jobs. So I, in that fourth year, I worked, uh, I think, three or four jobs. I was a laboratory assistant. Uh, and then I was also a administrative assistant at the international office of the university. I also became a Zumba instructor, so a group exercise instructor at two of the local gyms, one of them the university gym, the other one was a Virgin Active. Um, And then I was also uh, kind of co-supervising a graduate student, but on a salary. So I was being paid on a salary. And I think I also did something as a conference facilitator, interpreter, um during that same year so it was a it was a hectic year um when i finished that then i got a postdoc after my phd and um, after the postdoc i went to mozambique and uh, where i was living they had just opened a faculty of medicine and they were looking for a lecturer for biochemistry so i had to quickly polish up on portuguese and i started lecturing there I lectured there for two years 
and then I uh, realized that that wasn't something I wanted to do for a long time. <laughs> so I, 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 I went back to myself uh, saying, yeah, the, the dream was to get into the pharmaceutical industry. And I don't think this will get me there. So I dropped that and I'm, I took on a postdoctoral fellowship at a university, but it was a, it was a special postdoctoral fellowship because it was geared, it was in a preclinical drug development um, uh, institute under a university. So it was closer to, to the pharmaceutical world where I was going. And I thought that will, it was one step in the right direction. I got there and for two years, I didn't do any research because there was no funding. <laughs> Instead, I was working as a laboratory manager for the confocal microscopy and then also sitting in as a reviewer in the scientific review committee. And I got fed up. Um, <laughs> I got fed up of it and I just decided I'm not going to renew it. I am going to quit academia and I'm just going to now start networking to get myself into, you know, business, the, the corporate world, because that's where I really feel that I fit. I, I like the tempo of it. I like that it's it's real world problems. It's uh, applicable. I can see results and a lot of other things that I, I, I now understood about, about myself. And I really wanted to integrate that in my daily life. Um, so that was in 2019. I took that decision uh, end of 2018, January 2019. And then I took a few months to do networking and, and um, searching and eventually got a, an interview for, for this job that I'm doing now. Um, and yeah, they, they accepted to give me a, a shot at it. Um, and as it turns out, today I just got promoted um, I will become the the person that will be spearheading um, Illumina. I don't know if you're familiar with Illumina for the Sadek region. So yeah. Wow! Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So that that has been my my career journey. Uh, it's it's been a lot of knocking the head, but. If you look at it from the start, there was there was a there was a drive towards something, and eventually, I'm not in the pharmaceutical world, but I feel I still feel that what what I'm doing now is facilitating those who contribute directly into the pharmaceutical and even other other industries. So I still find that satisfaction um, of being part of the the the, the problem solvers, you know, at the fundamental level. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. And now, what are your, what are, are your plans in, in your career now? What, do, what plans do you have, your perspectives? Yeah, in your current, yeah. in your current job, your, your career? Yes. So I'll just tell you out there, I want to become the CEO of the number one ranking biotechnology company in Africa. I don't yet know which one it, it will be, 
Um, currently, it is Ilumina, um, also challenged by Tom Fisher, but those are multinationals. Um, there are biotechnology startups coming coming up in, in Africa. So I want to be at the helm of getting, uh, galvanizing the the biotechnology revolution that is happening or has to happen in Africa. So if you ask me, that is my career <laughs> aspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, it is really just going up that corporate ladder and 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 getting to a point where I can I can actually influence directly um, my sort of vision and 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 where I see that there's need in Africa and play my part in in um, mobilizing the talent and 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 the resources that we have in Africa as well as the technologies that are being developed around the world and 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 really focus on on solving. Um, those problems that we have in Africa, be it food security, um, diseases, um, food quality, environment, sustainable agriculture, those things. So my that's my goal is to to be part of that that solution and really even at the head of it, if possible. Well, it's possible, and that's where I'm going. <laughs> yeah. So uh, now in your career, what? Uh, what apart from frustrations and and maybe not get, uh, not attaining your um, let's say your what your motives or your goals. What other mm-hmm. challenges have you have you faced? Mm-hmm. And what are the okay the positives and the negatives that you have faced in your plane of career? Okay, um, and I think with the answer to this, you you will probably get in. We'll probably get into another section that I saw highlighted nicely in the questions that were forwarded to me by Dennis. Um, I think I I struggled a lot to find my path because I didn't even know what was available to me. I didn't know. No one really sat me down and said, "So, what do you want to do?" Why do you want to do it? And these are your options. Um, I had to sort of figure it out, read about it. And there isn't, there wasn't at the time a lot available, um, at least before before the advent of, of uh, internet being vulgar and, and ubiquitous. There wasn't enough, there wasn't a, a lot of information out there as to the kind of career that, or the career options that could accommodate my my diversified interests. Um, they were the typical, and I didn't see myself fitting the typical. <laughs> so I was always kind of hitting my head and 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 really experimenting even, and then going, um, no, this isn't for me. I don't feel like it. But um, the one advantage that that gave me is I have a broad experience in terms of different specialties within my industry so within biotechnology i've touched in on almost all the different niches if you may um that that gear towards the whole of biotechnology if you are familiar with biotechnology you know that it can apply in so many areas 
and I've I've sort of gone through all of them <laughs> in one 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 aspect or the other. And so right now where I sit, I ha- as a salesperson, as a sales professional, I have to interact with people in all of these areas. And there's no conversation where I go like, ah, what are you talking about? Because <laughs> I've had that experience. I've, I've done a, a, a diploma in food science. I've done a degree in biochemistry and drug development. I've done a postdoc in bioprocessing, another one in, in, in pharmaceutical formulation. I've worked as a, a, man, a lab manager in, in um, microscopy and optics. And I've also done uh, when I was when I mentioned one of the jobs that I was doing as a lab uh, technician at the final year of my po- of my PhD, when mm-hmm. I didn't have enough funds, was to work as a, a laboratory uh, technician in a molecular biology lab. So I learned molecular biology that way in the beginning. So that has exposed me to all of the little niches that you have in biotechnology. And so I feel a bit, I feel very comfortable talking to anyone in any particular specialty. It may take me a day or two to catch up to what has happened in the last year or two, (laughs) but at least the fundamentals are there. Um, Another thing is with my uh, career taking me across different countries, I've had also that exposure to different cultures, different people. And so I'm also comfortable culturally um, to fit in with any group of people. Um, the challenges, aside from the, the aspect of mentorship, uh, obviously is also being a woman, you know, uh, where the expectations coming from a typical African family, typical African society for a woman are different from that of a man. So I was very driven to pursue my dreams and my career dreams until I achieved those. I wasn't comfortable starting a family, but the expectations say otherwise. (laughs) And um, I had to battle that along the way with myself. And eventually when I was ready for it, I did get married and then I had a, a child and then with that also comes its own challenges. So every day you, you, you find a new challenge. Obviously I'm not unique, but um, the, it's, 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 a, it's a typical combination. Like currently I'll tell you, tip, currently I am a foreigner, a woman, black, living in uh, South Africa, uh, working in a white dominated company actually i'm the only black woman in the sales force of that company um my husband is mozambican he's living in mozambique so i'm singly living here with my daughter he visits and i visit but those are the challenges the daily challenges of coping with all of that and then still having to show up at work and excel so yeah, it's um, I think mentorship <laughs> uh, is definitely something that I think would have made a big, big, big difference. Still, I think I need to 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 capitalize on um, that. I think that is that that is one of the things I would say is a highlight of my career is that I didn't get enough guidance as I would have loved to. Oh, okay. No, yeah, uh, huh. 
being a woman in science and you have made it it's great like great thank you, you know, yeah yeah in kenya you find few few females few ladies doing science courses because they, we believe they are hard Mm-hmm. this far my that's amazing and so uh, my next question okay like you have said you are, you are never mentor you are no one you never had a mentor you had to find it yourself but from the conversation how about you 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 somehow mentor people i think you have mentioned that yes a good thing I am also learning from you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so, so currently uh, currently I do I do actually I'm very proactive about it. Um but it really started being so I have guided graduate students as part of my job if you may. But this year or last year I actually made it a point of um doing a mentorship program so i started every every saturday i meet up with a couple of ladies uh, actually currently there are three of them there's one in nigeria one in uh, kenya <laughs> and then there's one here in south africa so we meet and we try to um, talk about our week and things that we need we would like advice on and just encourage each other so actively this last year 2020 i started a mentorship program i and in 2019 before i actually left the university i co i founded a company we haven't really started um, our work because the, the the three directors that that formed the company at the time at its foundation just shortly after we formed the company went in separate ways there's one in kenya <laughs> and another one here in south africa but she got an uh, appointed uh, in a directorship role and then um she couldn't make herself available for for the work we were planning to do so um i founded a company that was actually going to do mentoring um as a company corporate uh, 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 goal for africans it was it's it's it was it's quite ambitious it's still registered we still have a plan actually to revive it this year let's see how that goes um but yeah i really think that mentorship is very important and i really want to support mentorship uh, in africa for young women that's that's a passion a, a personal passion of mine Oh, okay. Thank you. Um now can we uh, let's talk about uh are there opportunities what do you think about are there opportunities in science for young students uh, and and it, it can be like an encouragement like for my science courses the opportunities as something like that the opportunities that are in science courses Okay so um and I think this this is where Sarah and I uh began engaging um is that I I personally was very frustrated also um when 
let's say I was frustrated before a slightly different reason is that I didn't think I fit the mode of finishing and getting a research or a researcher job or a lecturer job and then eventually um, being being into the, the, the what do you call tenureship for a professor or whatever I never I never really I, I, I did a PhD but it was never for the goal of, of becoming a university professor or lecturer or something like that. I was always aimed at going for industry or even if I had to do research professionally, I always thought I would be in a pharmaceutical industry. Also because I didn't really know what the other options were. (laughs) So at least I knew pharmacy. At least I knew the drugs must be made somewhere by someone in a lab. I want to be there. (laughs) But now with my exposure... Um, I see that there's a lot, a lot that scientists um, can do. Uh, you just have to, you just have to actually look internally. So the fact that you are a scientist, the fact that you studied right up to even masters or PhD or even a first degree in science doesn't mean that you have to become. Uh, or you have to be on the bench, as we we, we say colloquially. Um, There's a lot of options that are out there. Currently, some of those roles are not even filled by scientists, and that is creating a whole lot of bottleneck challenges because had it been scientists in those roles, um, it will be far more uh, successful or science will advance far better. So I'll just say some of them uh, currently in my in my uh, in my position I have I, I see within within my company we have salespeople so those who actually talk to scientists about what they need in their labs and um, sell it to them. Uh, and then those, there's another position called application scientists. Those are the people that go to the scientists who have bought or yeah, who have bought those products, and assist them to set it up. They train them, they assist them with troubleshooting um, along their experiments. So they are not themselves in the labs, but they do understand the lab work. They know. They have hands-on experience and they carry. They, they also kind of sit side by side with the actual researchers, scientists in, in their work. But they are more of a support. But they are, they are part of the industry side of things. Um, you also have engineers. Um, those are those who then look at the uh, machines and automation systems. They either they will troubleshoot, they will assist with um, constructing programs, scripting, and things like that. Um, so that is just within where I am. But now, if you go a little a step further, we represent suppliers. Our suppliers, most of them are from abroad, um, and within those companies now, those are the people who actually go from the product right up to, or from the idea, right up to the product. And through that chain, you would have people in the labs that are actually de- designing and, 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 and um, 
producing those those uh, products for the market, you will have those that have to sit in. Uh, say you want to to to, to you you made a drug um, that has to go for or let's take a good example the vaccines that we have now for COVID. You need somebody who has enough law uh, law and regulatory um, intellect, but who also understands the science so they can defend that product in front of um, uh, 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 institutes and, and regulatory bodies that need to say, okay, this can go forward or not. So those are now your... Um, regulatory uh, advisors and things like that. So I'll just I'll just read you a list and and we can talk about anyone that you you think is catchy, but I have in front of me a list of let's say 20 positions that typically within industry someone with a PhD um and it doesn't have to be PhD, it can also be a very good master's degree. But typically with a PhD, you can hold. And you have application scientists I've mentioned, quantitative analysts, science public policy advisor. So those who actually um, look into how they can inform policy with their scientific knowledge. Uh, Product managers, clinical trials, project managers, Competitive intelligence analysts. So these are now people. They don't. They don't sit in the labs, but they study competitive business and they gather intelligence in order to foster um, one brand over another. You have business development managers. These are people who actually go into the field and seek new business and expansion for a company. You have intellectual property lawyers. Um, you have research analysts in, in a venture capital firm. So sometimes before some people invest their money within these venture capital uh, capital firms, they need someone that will actually go into the nitty gritties of what they are investing in. And a, a, a scientist can, can definitely play a role in that. You have a market research analyst. You have technology transfer officers management consulting, patent agent or scientific consultant. You also have what Sarah does, scientific or technical writer, um, research scientist in industry. We've spoken about that. You also have technology assessment and alliance managers, research project managers, technical spe- uh, sales specialist, which is what I'm doing. And then medical science liaison. Medical science liaison, those are people that take the information from the company and then they have to educate the salespeople um, with that information so that they empower them to be able to go into the field and sell the products. So they're sort of an intermediate between the companies and their sales force. And then finally, you have FDA regulatory affairs administrators. So those are those who actually have to compile all those regulatory um, documents and make sure that everything is in line for filing of um, approval or, or, or certification or something. They have all those things that they have to do. So I think in all of this, you can see that there's so much that you can do with your science degree. And really, it all comes down to your personal passion 
your personal inclination in addition to your science knowledge and training and skills um you can choose whether you prefer sales or you prefer more law inclined or more research and then just fit in there you may need to take on additional degrees and diplomas or certifications in addition to your science degree but i think there's there's enough and this is just a limited list there's a lot um options that are out there for for uh, scientists uh, sorry uh, that's interesting like science field is very abroad and there's a future for scientists mm-hmm. yeah uh, now uh, let's talk about uh, mental mental health what yes. uh, what do you think what is the take about mental health and have you ever now have you ever ex- had you have some experiences of mental illness what can you say about it and uh, okay, the advice that you can give us because mental illness is something that is affecting a lot of people mm-hmm. yeah so by definition if you have had exp- your personal experience or from other people experiences mm-hmm. and what your take on that yeah um you would hear probably when i told you my story that there was a lot of <laughs> mental challenges i didn't call it a mental health issue at the time but i'm yeah. sure that it was bothering <laughs> bothering yeah. to that um but also i think it was more of a perspective thing um for me it wasn't i wasn't considering it as a clinical problem i just thought it was just a developmental it's just developmental pain um but yeah especially when you're studying science in africa and you have all these expectations and ambitions that get halted almost either by lack of in my case there wasn't even a school of pharmacy when i really wanted to be a pharmacist <laughs> that can be very frustrating mm-hmm. um <laughs> or when you want to go somewhere and there's no money you need to rely on on funding or you even get there you know i got a postdoc and there was no funding i had to spend 2 years and i got nowhere with my research project i had no research output that is very frustrating so i think the make all the makings for um mental health uh challenges are very much present if you are a scientist studying in africa that's just the plain truth because mm-hmm. even when you're studying they you, you can't really lift your head and see a bright future awaiting for you you sort of have to dig really deep um in order to find the motivation to go at it and to go at it um in an excellent way Mo- many people fall off um i can't tell you the number of colleagues that left you know sciences and just thought you know there's no point i'll go be uh, and I, i think sarah wrote, wrote a really nice piece about about such I'll go be a banker or you know something else. This is this is not working. Um but for me, I don't know. I never really considered it as a clinical problem, so I never really resorted to you know 
looking at it as a disease and trying to find treatment. I just thought it's a question of finding your path, um, being persistent, um, reaching out, and and just just keep working hard. Um, but nevertheless, I'm very much aware of mental um, that in order to stay in this in science in Africa you need to take care of your mental health. Um, so for me, my luckily I found a very good outlet or a very good way of taking care of my mental health. And I've, it's sort of become religious to me. That is, that is my physical uh, activity. So I'm very, very religious about, about uh, physical exercise. Um I feel I feel that I become more I become more creative in in my approach to uh, finding my path. I gain courage. I gain um, self confidence, um, and also just the, the feel good <laughs> uh, disposition that you get from 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 physical exercise. It helps you take on another day and another day and another day, and eventually you you make it to to where you're going, um, and that is that overall uh, encourages you to keep pressing on. So for me, mental health, how I see it, how I deal with it is I I prevent I prevent myself from from getting into a state that. Um, requires you know medical intervention and by so doing i i i also think giving back um i found a lot of fulfillment through the mentorship uh endeavor that i undertook last year so while we're going through a pandemic i really found a lot of um solace and a lot of uh how can i say just that 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 notion that I was still contributing somehow um, makes me feel good, and and then um, yeah, I think if you are true to yourself, if you're true to your path, um, you work hard at it, and then you also give yourself a chance to release those tensions and frustrations. Um, through any means possible. For some people, it's religion. For me, it's exercise. Um, and then also find a way to give back, to help someone else. Then you're not so much, you know, focused on yourself and your sorrows and your issues that you get into a, a depressive uh, state. Um, I also not not on the on the look support support that you can get from a spouse or friends um, along the way. That is also something that I think if you add into your arsenal, then you can overcome or at least cope with um, the challenges to mental health that abound uh, just just by the mere fact that you're in Africa studying science or trying to pursue a career in science. Okay. So that is nice. So you're you still uh, the Zumba instructor? 
Um, no. So the thing about that is you need certification and it has to be renewed every year. And so I only did it for one year. And after that year, I moved to Mozambique. And um, in Mozambique, Zumba wasn't so popular at the time. So after returning to South Africa, actually, I returned to South Africa while I was pregnant. So that also <laughs> uh, made it difficult. So no, I haven't, but I still have, I have a, I have a, somewhere in my mind, I really want to go back to being a, an instructor because I also feel like it would be a great way to, I also have this passion for, for exercise that I, you must have heard me say that just now that I also think I would like to somehow put it into my career somehow, some way. I don't yet know how. I've gotten the, the business and the science to merge. I want to see somewhere maybe there will be a place to merge in um, uh, group exercise instruction. Just because, like I, like I highlighted earlier, I feel that you need... Um, a space for release you need to take care of your body even if it's not for the mental health you need to take care of your body you need to manage your energy um, in order to then uh, face the challenges that we have in Africa and even just as um, a way to get more creative and find solutions to the problems that are, are so unique to Africa. I feel that we as scientists, we need to develop our imagination. We need to develop our creativity. And I find for myself speaking that um, physical exercise gets me there faster. It gets me to that place of, of creative insight um, and courage to even act on those um, creative um uh, what do you call those nudges that you get? Because sometimes we do get those ideas, and we but we're scared. We're scared to pursue it. We're scared to talk to someone, to start a conversation, to start a project. Um, but I find with physical exercise, you get courage, you get self confidence, you you get more social even, <laughs> and all those things build a really nice platform to to start projects and pursue um, projects that bring solutions to problems that, that we have every day in our lives. I have come to realize like exercise kind of therapy. You know, yes. We used to see like exercise it's not like it's tiresome, it's, I don't know, it's boring. Yeah. But I, uh, yeah. here in Kenya, I have realized during Corona period, people mm-hmm. have really been enlightened about exercise. Even mm-hmm. when you see TV programs, there is that Zumba, Zumba yes. program. Yes. Yeah. So when I interact with my friends, they usually say, "Oh, I exercise every day." At least yeah. now nowadays. People yeah. are not exercising. It's a therapy, but when you have stress, yes, you just do exercise, and yes. it's fun. It is fun. So, I'm, 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 yeah. what you've said is so true. And, and for me personally, I'll tell you that I, with the pandemic, it's good. Uh, not good. It's 
it's it's shown us um it's revealed a lot about us as 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 humanity even but one of the things is that we we have been able to let go of a lot of misconceptions and excuses um that we had previously of taking care of ourselves we've now realized that we really need to take care of ourselves the government will not take care of us um the scientists will not take care of us we need to take care of us and so for me that is that is what physical exercise is is me giving myself permission and actually giving myself time to take care of me so that i can then take care of others i can then take care of my community you know um yeah so it's a source of empowerment and also just a source of managing your your your, your energy that's for me is very important um that i'm able to know when my, i'm in a low and in a high and how to self calibrate so that i'm i'm always productive or at least um when i have to be i do show up Oh, wow. Thank you so much for the session. Now, I'll ask if there's anything else you love to uh, to tell us, to share with us. Or, yeah, yeah, or anything I've not asked. Any you can no, it's an open for a <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Um the one thing I may want to share on or talk about is um as a woman in science um so personally i i always found that or i find that there is this pressure to relax to um sort of give up your own aspirations your own uh passion your own identity even um in order to kind of take shadow behind a man behind your husband your boyfriend or your partner um for heterosexual couples which is still our dominant um uh you know sort of the recognized in most african countries uh, sexual orientation but for me I struggled a lot with that because I grew up with a single mom and she taught me well from a very young age I could see that you can be yourself you can be by yourself you can be yourself and so I never really embraced that idea of you know at some point I have to give up myself my name my aspirations my everything just so that I could hide in the shadow of someone else doing their thing and luckily and anyway when i was aspiring for a phd and all of that stuff there was always the the popular um conversation around saying no men don't men don't want to get into relationships with women that are very educated very advanced or very ambitious let's put, let's put it that way um ambition is such a bad word when when it's associated with women especially in africa you know it's almost like if i want to insult you i should tell you you're so ambitious <laughs> you know tone it down <laughs> don't be too ambitious and what i've come to find out is there's there's no such thing um 
unless you give it permission. So I eventually got married at the age of 31. Um, and my husband and I, he's been, he's been a bigger support, a bigger force for me to pursue my ambitions and my dreams. Even when I, for one second, thought, okay, let me chill. Let me just, you know, slow down a little bit, put my head under the ground and just, you know, be quote and unquote normal. But he's always encouraged me to go for the things that make me me and that give me satisfaction. Um, And so I think women should not give up or settle just because they want to fit in the norm, in the mold. That's so that's that's the reason why we, we see so few women at the top, because we we kind of settle at some point. We start off being the best. If you look at you know primary, secondary education, you see girls um always like in the in the head at the top. But somewhere we we kind of just go back to the end of the, the queue. And I, my my mission, if I have any, is to show um as a mod, as a role model, but also to encourage girls to know that it's possible um, to have it all, not necessarily at the same time, <laughs> not necessarily to fit the the stereotypical image of how your life will be, you know, but you can create your own life and still be you and still dream and still go for your ambitions but just be open to the fact that you can make it your own and you don't have to give it up you don't have to think that there's no support there's no help there's no man that will want you because you are too ambitious Um, rather while you're being ambitious you know look out for that man that wants you for that not in spite of that, but really for that reason. And they are out there. Um, And then when you do get into, you know, a spousal relationship or in a relationship, um, at no point you should then become a shadow of that man. Still stand in your own light, still make your voice heard, still contribute to society as you and even unite with that person to make bigger dreams and bigger goals. So yeah, that 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 for me is something that I really wanna um, impress on who what whatever or whichever woman I come across, especially younger girls in that phase where you're beginning to think, should I now just settle? Um, is it worth going forward? Am I? Am I not sort of betraying womanhood <laughs> by by trying to um, go ahead with my sense or my career ambitions? Yeah. Wow, thank you. At least you have helped me. I, I was kind of disturbed. I don't know if you disturbed or I didn't know what to do about mm-hmm. that now like giving up your career and giving in but it's like it's not worth it giving up your your ambitions and giving in to someone yeah 
Yeah. No, there's no point. I mean, we can have a whole new conversation around that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but there's no point in doing that because marriage in itself is not promised. You know, it comes with yeah. its own challenges and you cannot then just settle because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you have to live with you. Even if you're lying in bed with someone it's still your dreams. You will still sleep and see your dreams. You won't be dreaming their dreams. You'll be yeah, dreaming sure. your dreams. <laughs> and it will haunt you if you gave it up, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. I have learned a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. Uh, maybe, before, yeah, maybe before we end our meeting, um, uh, uh, my fellows can say something or say if they have a question they can ask okay hey okay so this is sarah i've really enjoyed the the interview i've i've learned a lot from it and you've shown like different aspects of being into science like in terms of family in terms of um being a woman in terms of the academic side of it so there's something i would really like to know especially as a young scientist and i'm sure someone else would be curious about that so um how this this you've been in academia before yes and you you've been to the other side where in the industry right mm-hmm. so um of course, you uh, you didn't. It first of all, it wasn't like your things, really your thing. But I'm sure you've learned something that would really want to tell someone who wants to venture into academia and what you can tell, what how they can yeah, grow into the space, mm-hmm. and also uh, touch into someone who's interested, like someone like you is interested into growing into yeah, integrating business and science, and how mm-hmm. what should they do so that they can grow into that space so both into the academia space mm-hmm. and both into the yeah the business side okay really nice, uh, great questions um sarah so in academia um the key word one that i i particularly left because of but i think that is the way to to grow is that you need to find focus so in academia it doesn't they don't it doesn't really encourage diversification you need to find a niche even if it's one that seems crazy actually the crazier the better <laughs> um find a unique niche a unique focus of interest a unique question that you have and then dig around it in all sorts of ways be the 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 top leader in that particular niche um so for example if i can think my 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 last professor her thing was she in her i think it was in her her phd no actually she was still doing a masters while while working in industry and she came across she developed these um nanoparticles out of oil a specific group of oils and they call them ferroids and her entire career academic career 
right up to the point where she's partnering now with um, companies, be it in the agriculture space, in the pharmaceutical, the cosmetic space, is around steroids. So if you talk about steroids, if you even Google steroids, I'm sure her name will be associated with it. But that is how she got her her space. She didn't let herself sway into the next fancy thing, the next flashy thing. You know, she found her thing that she was interested in, curious about, dug into it, found all the necessary applications and then kind of partnered, which brings me to the next thing is that you want to partner with people. And I think that is where a lot of scientists are lacking. We now find this one thing and we want to be the only one looking at it. We want to hide all the details about it from the next person. You Doing that, you wouldn't grow. You need to partner with other people. See how your thing can help someone else's thing and how the two can now make a bigger thing, but you are still your thing and they are still their thing, if that makes sense. Um, So the thing is, with academia, if you want to grow in academia, is you need to find a point of focus and then you need to network with other scientists, um, drawing attention to your point of focus, but also being out there and sharing as much as possible about what you are doing so that you make yourself known, you make yourself seen, you make yourself noticed. And yeah, with that, it expands your opportunities. It expands, it attracts funding. um, And that's how you you grow because as an academic, you need funding. Um, You need support and you only get that support if you're showing up. And I notice with uh, with pity that a lot of scientists don't like to show up. We show up in our little meetings, maybe when we're students, graduate students, um, we're showing up because just because we had to. But once we get that lecturer position, that first associate, whatever, we then just stay on the ground. And then we wonder why we don't get grants. We wonder why we don't get promoted. You stop showing up. People are not seeing what you're doing. It's not relevant. And so it's not attracting anything. Um, And then when it comes to, if you want to go corporate, again, it's the same, but in a different way. You have to network. Um, You have to talk to people if you want to know what the opportunities are. If you're interested in a particular Um, career path find out who is doing it talk to them how did they get there find out because obviously like we mentioned you may need some additional courses additional skill sets to really prepare you and equip you to assume that role now it's your job after you've done your science degree it's your job to take on those additional skills And nowadays, there's a lot of free education available that you can take advantage of and um, equip yourself. But also find real-life examples or find real-life projects where you can then apply those skills and and, um, use it as leverage to get yourself your foot in the door. 
what what I'm saying is, say for example, a job requires you to be to have done some project management. It's not enough to just say you manage your master's degree um, thesis project. You have to do more, more than that. You have to probably look for a real life NGO or something, a project, a developmental project or something, and then um, participate in that and then create that uh, portfolio of, of performance that you can then show to someone and say, I may have a degree in a science uh, in science, but I have I, I, I've equipped myself with this skill through this program and I've applied it in this project and these are the results that I got. Um, so yeah, that those are the, those the, that I think for me is foundational. So um, for academic, um, you can make it popular by showing up and 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 presenting uh, as much as possible what you are busy doing in the lab. I think that will that is something that is still lacking. Sciences don't make public what they are doing. And then for someone trying to go the corporate or industry route, is that in your typical scientific training, you are not fully equipped. Um, for industrial or, uh, yeah, for the industry. So what you need to do is you need to network with people who are already doing what you're interested in doing and then seek seek introductions even if you, if you don't know someone directly, seek through a second, third contact to reach out to that person. Find out what the opportunities are, find out what the skill sets that you need to complement your foundation with. Um, build on those skill sets, create a portfolio um, of you using those skill sets, which can be done free of charge um, around, even in social product projects, even in internships, unpaid internships. Um, and then once you have that portfolio, you've built yourself some leverage, then you will definitely get access. Or you could get lucky and just by interacting with people, someone may give you a chance. Um, as was my case, but you need to talk to people. A business world, the business world, communication is 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 the key. And if you're not communicating, if you're not talking to people, you never know the opportunities. You never know what it takes to to get them. I don't know. I hope I have answered your question. Yes, yes, you have. You have you've answered it well. So maybe this will be my last question. Sure. Um, you've mentioned about. Wanted to go into pharmaceuticals, then you went into biotechnology where um, you do sales and you do it to scientists. So maybe for someone who doesn't understand um, what exactly you do, maybe you could expound on, yeah, on what you exactly do. And so that maybe a day into the life, like what you normally do as a sales professional uh, for someone who would want to go into that. Okay. Um, so... I'll give you a scenario which hopefully the scientists um, that are your audience will relate to. You are in the lab and <clears throat> you need, uh, what is a common thing I got? I can even just say a test tube. You need a test tube um, that is produced, maybe they are local producers now, 
but let's just assume a test tube is produced in uh, Germany and you can go to Germany to buy a test tube and uh, there are different types of test tubes and the test tube is not the best example but I'm just using it as a, a, a common uh, recognizable item in the lab um, and so you want to someone from Germany will appoint someone else, I'm going to say in Kenya, to come talk to you about their test tube. Why is their test tube the best test tube or the right test tube for you to use? Maybe for some reason, there's a specific uh, uh, requirement for a specific type of test tube that you need to use in a particular test to get the standard results that you're after. And so this person needs to understand what you are doing in the lab in order to then make a recommendation of what is available so that you can make that decision to buy a test tube. Now, in my case, we don't only represent one company, I think when we're talking today, we have over 40 suppliers that we represent. Um, and we have to talk to all the scientists uh, around. So what we do is we understand what products are available out there for different workflows. I specify, I, I specialize in the genomics workflow. So from the time you're isolating DNA right up to if you're going to do next generation sequencing, all the products um, and even equipment that you would use through that workflow, I need to understand what they are, what they do, how they work. And I need to come talk to you as a scientist about what you are doing, what you are trying to achieve in order to make the recommendation of what you need. Sometimes you even want to take on a project where you don't know exactly what you need to take on that project in a practical way. So I need to come and talk to you, understand your project, and then make a recommendation like, okay, you need this product for this reason. Uh, maybe there are options in terms of price, in terms of how many samples you have. I will then orientate you towards those different options. So on the technical front, um, scientific front, that's what I do. But also, I facilitate the sales process. So the sales process will involve me coming to discover what you are doing, taking it through now to where you have money, but it's not in your hands. It's probably sitting with your procurement officer. How do we get your procurement officer to release that money? What are all the paperwork trail that has to follow? <clears throat> Quotations, uh, invoices, uh, way bills, the logistics around delivering your stuff to you um, and so yeah all of that is what we do so we do a lot a whole lot of admin we do a whole lot of communication we do a whole lot of training as well technical um, as well as just sales process um, training and um, we we are then like the face of the company um abroad in South Africa, but also we are the face of the customer to the company when we are trying to relate to them what their products are doing 
or what is the need in the market that they can then orientate their production or innovation um, strategies towards. If that paints a picture, <laughs> I hope it does. Yeah, yeah, it does. It's like the med reps where they go yes. between the the doctor and yes. your yes. company. Yes. Okay. It Great. Is. I think. Thank you.